Amen. Well, if you'll open up your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 12. We're going to actually pick up the last couple verses in chapter 11. Remember, your Bibles weren't written with chapters. Those were added later by editors. And bless their hearts, they tried. But we're going to... We're going to work from where I believe Matthew intends us to work here. Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 28, and we're going to go to verse 21. If you're using the Pewback Bible, that should be around page 816, 817. You could follow along on the screen as well. This is the word of God given to us. Jesus is speaking here for us. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more value is a man than a sheep? So, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him. How to destroy him? Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I'll put my spirit upon him. He will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. This is God's word given to us. You may be seated. Let's ask the Lord for understanding as we begin our time. Lord, there's some things that jump right out of us, at us when when we read this, and some things are not so clear to us. So we pray as we walk through your scripture that, that we would gain understanding that we would better understand what's exactly going on here. And, and God, more than that, that we would better understand who Jesus is. And that as we begin to know Jesus more from your word, 
by the power of your spirit, our hearts would just be elevated. And that we'd respond in praise. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I want you to imagine for a moment, shouldn't be hard for some of you, a husband and wife, they've been married for 30 years. All right, so you're picturing this couple. Now, what day of the year reminds them most that they belong together? Their anniversary, right? Their anniversary does. Every year on that particular day, the husband and wife are reminded that they've been brought together. Now, imagine that at some point over the course of these 30 years, the wife begins to make a really a big spectacle out of that day. And because nobody else in the family shares her zeal, she begins to get really grouchy about a week before that day. She, she calls her adult children every day leading up to that day to remind them of what's coming up on the calendar. It's so, it's so bad and the kids know that it's coming as the years go by that they just, they see the caller ID. It's mom. It's, let's not answer the phone. <laughs> right? And, and as the day gets closer, she begins to tell her husband what she wants him to wear, what time he's supposed to be home from work, and exactly where she wants to go for dinner. And let's not even begin to think about the standards of cleanliness in the house that uh, begin to elevate leading up to that day. When, when it comes down to it, this, this poor lady has made herself and everyone around her miserable because of how she observes that special day. If, you, if you're wondering, uh, that's not autobiographical, okay? <laughs> My wife is not a keeper of days, bless her heart. But, but in many ways, that's sort of what's happening in this text this morning, the Pharisees, these, these devout Jews whose, whose every aim is to be faithful to God, right? That's who these guys are. At least they want to appear to everyone else to be faithful to God. The Pharisees have taken what is the equivalent of a weekly anniversary meant to remind the people that they belong to God, and they've made themselves and everybody around them miserable. They are the grouchy and legalistic wife of the Lord. They've so forgotten that the Sabbath day is to point them to honor and worship the Lord, to to point them to remember the Lord's promises to them, that when the Lord shows up, they don't even recognize that He's there. And we're going to see this theme play out in these two short stories this morning. The first takes place in a grain field, and the second takes place in a synagogue. In the first story, the Lord reveals Himself in word, and in the second story, the Lord reveals himself in deed. And we'll see both of those things. Let's start with the first story. Jesus and his, and his disciples are, are taking a leisurely stroll through the grain fields on the outskirts of town, right? We don't know exactly why all these people are traveling through the grain fields. Maybe it's because the disciples are hungry, and they are hungry, remember? They're hungry, and, and they're poor, and, and what is available to those who are hungry and poor in, in Israel? Well, the gleanings in the grain fields. The, the farmers are supposed to leave behind enough grain for the poor to walk through and eat so that they can be preserved, so that they, so that they can live. 
This is permissible for poor Jewish folks to do. It's not stealing. They're snacking on the gleanings. Disciples are poor, and so they eat. And for some reason or other, the Pharisees are following behind them. I don't know why. Matthew doesn't tell us. But they're following behind Jesus and the disciples into the grain fields, and when they see the disciples plucking that grain, they get upset. Because it's the Sabbath. See, this day is, is unique to these people. If you want to catch someone not keeping the law, the easiest way to do that is to follow them around on the Sabbath day. It's, it's like if you're of a highway patrolman and you want to catch somebody not keeping the law, where do you go? You go to a school zone, right? Because we, we, we make extra, extra rules for things that are precious to us. And that's what the Jews have done as, as well. The, the Sabbath day is a particularly precious and holy day for Jews. And so there's more laws to protect it which means more ways to break the law. Sabbath day is holy because, because God said it was holy. Even at the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, God worked for six days, and on the seventh day he rested. God ordained that there be a Sabbath, it's a rest, it's a, a day of rest for his people as well, because they're his people. God rests. He wants his people to rest. So even before the law was given, while the people are sojourning to the promised land, when, when God provided manna for his people from heaven, he gave them two days worth on Friday. And remember, the Sabbath hasn't been written in the law yet. And already, he's given them two days worth so that on that seventh day, they don't have to gather in. They don't have to work. The Lord provides for his people. He wants his people to trust him, to rely on him. And he wanted his people to rest. And it's so important to God that when the law is given to them, the fourth of those Ten Commandments is putting in stone this day. Literally. And if that's not enough, if it's not just the way that God is in creation... And the way that he provides for his people in the Exodus. And it's not just the law. When you get to Exodus chapter 31, God doubles down on the Sabbath. In Exodus 31, verses 12 through 16, the Lord says to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbath. Above all, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. It means to set them apart, to make them a holy people, his people. You shall keep the Sabbath because it's holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. He says it again. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout the generations as a covenant forever. Do you see, see what God is communicating to his people? The Sabbath is a reminder of the covenant between God and his people. It's just like an anniversary. Right? It's a reminder of, of their marriage together. 
One man in, in the book of Numbers found out the hard way just how important this day was. Numbers 15, you don't have to turn there. It, it tells the story of a man who was, he's out, it's a Sabbath day, everybody's supposed to be resting, and he's out gathering sticks. Not entirely unlike what the disciples are doing, is it? So this guy's out gathering sticks. Somebody catches him in the act. They bring him before Moses and Aaron. And the Lord tells Moses, stone him. And that's what happens to him. The entire congregation, that means everybody, they all go outside the camp with this guy and they stone him to death. Sabbath. He was gathering sticks. Now remember, God gave his people the Sabbath as a reminder to them that they were his people. And because God rested on the seventh day, his people were to identify with him and rest on the seventh day. They were resting in God, trusting in God and not themselves. To work on the Sabbath, to profane the day just by gathering sticks for a fire was to say in a sense, I do not belong to God. It was roughly the equivalent of going on a date with someone who's not your spouse on your anniversary. Okay? Well, as you go throughout the Old Testament, you find that this day in particular, the Sabbath day observance, would prove to be a bit of a, a sticky wicket for Israel. In fact, as, as you read the, the prophets, you find these two events coinciding. Whenever Israel stopped observing the Sabbath, they would go after other gods. Whenever they stopped observing the day that identified them with Yahweh, they would con coincidentally, or perhaps not, go after other gods. False gods, whether that's going up on mountainsides to eat, which is a very pagan thing to do, or setting up stone idols, or setting up wooden idols, or, as often happened, sacrificing their children. Whatever it was, when Israel stopped observing the Sabbath day, they would replace that act of worship with something else. It wasn't, it wasn't just a neutral I'm going to stop doing this. That's how sin works. When we cease to worship and honor God, we don't, we don't just go into neutral territory and coast. When we cease to worship and honor God, we fill that void with something else. We're going to worship something. We're created to be worshipers. We're going to worship something. When we cease to worship God, we always worship something else. You can't not worship. We're always ascribing value to something and prioritizing it with our time and our trust and our money and our devotion. Whatever it is, that's just who we are. And when Israel stopped worshiping God, they went after other gods. Well, as it happened for Israel over and over again, they profaned the Sabbath and went after other gods. And eventually, just as God told him he would do in the book of Deuteronomy, he exiled them from the land. He disciplined them for their disobedience. Fast forward a few hundred years from there, from the exile. As he promised, God had brought his people back into the land. So they're all there. They're back in the, 
the Levant, the, is- the land of Israel, and things aren't quite right, are they? I mean, think about the context of what we're reading in, in Matthew. They're an occupied people. Pagans are there, ruling over them. God is not present in the temple the way he once was. And all of the most religious people in the land, all of the the most religious of the Jews, the Pharisees and the Essenes and the Sadducees, all these people saw this as a continuance of God's punishment on his people for their disobedience. They thought that if they were more obedient to God, if they more faithfully observed the Sabbath, then God would restore them. That's that's what's going on in the minds and the hearts of these Pharisees. All right? And so then they're, they're watching Jesus through the grain fields, and the rumor is that he might be the one to deliver, deliver Israel from their predicament. And what do they see happening? His followers, as plain as the eye can see, are casually working on the Sabbath. They're not observing the Sabbath. They're harvesting and preparing a little meal for themselves. And that's work. They're profaning the Sabbath. That's why in in verse 2, the Pharisees say, Look, your disciples are doing what's not lawful to do on the Sabbath. You see why they're upset? Jesus, the fulfillment of the law, the one who taught that he is the fulfillment of the law, appears to be teaching his disciples to break the law. The laws that were meant to protect Israel. And so these guys are zealous in their response. They're accusing the disciples of doing what is not lawful to do. They're accusing them of sinning. Now watch how Jesus responds. He gets right with the Pharisees at their level. He shows them their error. And then he totally undermines their reasoning. And at the same time, he reveals more to us about who he is. Look at verses 3 and 4. Have you not read? Like You guys are the teachers, right? Have you not read the Bible? Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? Right? And then he reminds them of that story that Dustin read for us. David was hungry. He's tired because he's running for his life. Saul wants to kill him. So David finds his way to the tabernacle, which is like a portable version of the temple. He lies to the priest. He wasn't sent there by the king on a mission. He lies to the priest about his circumstances. The priest gives him bread that is especially reserved for the priest to eat in the presence of God. And David, in turn, gives it to his men. And throughout the Bible, no one ever questioned David for doing this. No one ever condemned David for doing this. No one ever said what David did was wrong or sinful. Why? Why wasn't David condemned for doing something that was a clear violation of temple law and ordinance? Well, because David is the anointed one. He's the chosen one by God to lead Israel. If he's hungry, he eats. If his men are hungry, they eat. Exceptions to the temple laws were made for the chosen king. All right? 
So, so that's premise one of Jesus' argument in response to the Pharisees. Exceptions to the temple laws were made for the chosen king. But then he's going to build on that in verse 5. He says, again, have you not read in the law? Have you not read your Bibles, Pharisees? Have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath? And they're guiltless as well. David was guiltless. The priests are guiltless. What Jesus is talking about is when the priests would sacrifice animals in the temple on the Sabbath. That's work, right? So if anybody else were to do that, that would be a violation of the Sabbath and the temple. But for the priests to do it, they're they're allowed to violate the Sabbath for the sake of the temple ordinances. And that's totally acceptable because, well, God's got to be worshipped. Sins must be atoned for. See what Jesus is doing? He's saying, look, what happens in the temple or the tabernacle, when the priests do that, that's more important than the Sabbath, right? After all, the priests make sacrifices in the temple on the Sabbath. So the temple laws trump the Sabbath laws. You tracking? The temple laws trump the Sabbath laws. And if exceptions to those temple laws, which are greater than the Sabbath laws, were made for the chosen king, then the king chosen by God is at least in some ways greater than the temple. You see what he's doing? Which is greater than the Sabbath. If A is greater than B, and B is greater than C, then A is greater than C. Right? So follow the logic. And look at verse 6. That's how he comes to his conclusion. He says, I tell you, something, A, is greater than the temple. C, something greater than the temple is here. Something greater than the temple is here. David was greater than the temple laws, according to Jesus' argument. Right? And Jesus is right. And the temple laws are greater than the Sabbath. So when Jesus then says something greater than the temple is here, he's saying two things to us. One, I'm the new David. I'm the new David. In other words, I'm the Christ. I'm the promised one. I'm the chosen king. And the Christ is greater than the temple, which is greater than the Sabbath. So there should be exceptions to the Sabbath laws for me and my disciples. And it's okay for them to eat grain on the Sabbath. You you see his argument? And secondly, Jesus is doing more than just lowering himself to the arguments of the Pharisees. He's, He's proclaiming something greater, isn't he? When Jesus says something greater than the temple is here, what's the temple? The temple is that place where the glory of God dwells. Jesus is saying, the glory of God dwells in me in a way far greater than it ever did in the temple. Jesus is the Christ. And, and he is the one that the glory of God resides in. So, so, so now we know who the Pharisees are dealing with. And now we know who we worship. Christ is now going to correct the Pharisees for their understanding or the misunderstanding of the law. They've corrected Christ. He's responded. He's one up to them. And now he's going to undermine them. Look at verse 7. And if you, Pharisees, had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. So Jesus defends his disciples as being guiltless. He does that for you and me too. He defends us because of who he is. 
So point one was this, I'm greater than the Sabbath laws. And then point two, you're missing the entire point of the law, including the Sabbath laws. The law was supposed to orient the hearts of God's people toward God so that they could then reflect the nature and character of God to other people. All right, that's what the law does. The law is the standard of righteousness given by God, who is the standard of righteousness. As we live in obedience to the law, we reflect the nature and character of God, the righteousness of God. So what what Jesus is saying is when other people who weren't Jewish watched Jewish people they were to know them more by their love and mercy than by their sacrificial system. When, when Yahweh introduced himself to Moses, think about this. When Yahweh introduced himself to, to Moses way back in Exodus, how did he introduce himself? He first told Moses his name, I am that I am. And then he told him this, I am merciful and gracious, slow to anger, Abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's who God is. That's how God identifies himself. This is my name. This is what I'm like. And so when we obey God's law, we're to live in such a way that that aspect of who God is is seen in us. Particularly the Jews here. And we'll get to how it relates to us in a little bit, okay? But that's who God is. To, To bear the image of God, one must keep these qualities at the forefront. The people of God were to reflect the love and the mercy of God to one another and to the world around them. And that's how the world was supposed to learn about Yahweh. That's why the Lord says to Hosea which is what Jesus is quoting here, that mercy is more important than sacrifices. I want people to see my mercy. And I want to see my mercy in you. So live in such a way that people see the love and the mercy of God. And the Pharisees aren't doing that. They've, They've misunderstood what the law is all about. And so Jesus is teaching them, if you want to get the law right, you have to know God. First, right? If you, if you want to get the law, which is a reflection of the righteousness of God, then you've got to know God. The law isn't meant to be abstracted from God as, as something totally separate from Him. The law reflects the nature and character and the righteousness of God. And so then in verse 8, Jesus is going to just settle this dispute outright. Look what He does. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Wow. When Jesus says Son of Man, if you will remember as we've been walking through Matthew, he's talking about himself. That's his favorite self-identifier from Daniel 7. He's the Christ. He's the one that's greater than the temple. But then he takes it a step further. What does he say? The Son of Man is not just the Christ, the promised King, He's the Lord of the Sabbath. It's one thing to quibble with Jesus the Messiah, this, this promised king. It's one thing to quibble with him. 
about Sabbath observance. It's an entirely different thing to argue with the Lord of the Sabbath, the one who made that law to begin with. The Sabbath day belongs to the Lord. It's His. He made it. He commanded it. He is Lord of the Sabbath. So when Jesus says the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, He's saying the Sabbath belongs to me. It's mine. I'm God. The Pharisees have been so caught up in the law. They've so abstracted the law from God Himself that when the one who wrote the law, the Lord of the law, the one whose righteousness the law describes is standing right in front of them, they totally miss him. They've missed Jesus. They can't see Jesus for who he is. They get all the ritual, they get all the religiosity, and they miss God. We have very... We... Today, as as evangelical Christians, we have very little ritual. We, especially religious ritual. We we have tons of ritual in our secular lives. We have a lot of things in our secular lives that we consider holy, and that's a whole other sermon altogether, all right? But we don't have so much that we consider holy and worth defending on the religious side of things. We have very little that we consider so holy that we will fight like Pharisees to protect it. We have our worship gatherings, right? These, these times, like this morning, when we, we come together, we sing, we pray, we hear some preaching, we go home. And it's, it's certainly possible to be Pharisaical about this. I'm guilty of that sometimes. It's certainly possible to, to be guilty of being far more interested in in the event in itself, this Sunday gathering in itself, the being here part of things, than we are interested in the Lord who speaks to us while we're here. That's certainly one of the ways that we're like the Pharisees. Maybe a little bit of that type of Phariseeism can creep into our hearts, but to be honest, in in totality, I would say we're pretty far from being able to understand the the intense feelings of zeal that these Pharisees are having. We're a long way from understanding just how important these guys understood the Sabbath to be. We We don't revere that much as holy anymore. And so I would say we have almost the opposite problem with the Pharisees. We find too little to be sacred in many cases. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit because there's some reasons why. And some of those are good reasons. All right? The second scene in our text is similar to the first. All right? It's still the Sabbath day. Jesus is going, he's gone into the synagogue this time. And while he's there, he sees this unnamed man with the withered hand. The Pharisees seeing Jesus. And then seeing the disabled man, they know that Jesus has this soft spot for healing people, right? This is just, we've seen Jesus do this thousands of times. Here's our opportunity. Let's challenge him to heal on the Sabbath 
and break the law. And then we can totally discredit him. Right? You can almost imagine the scene. They're rubbing their hands together, squinty eyes. Right? They've got this nasty smirk on their face, and they're looking at the disabled man, and they're looking at Jesus. And they look back at, at this man, and they look back at Jesus. They say, tell me, Galilean, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Their law books say that if a person is going to die, then you can work to save them. All right, so this is after the, the Old Testament was written. There's these extra books that help defend those laws and, and fence those laws. And those extra laws say that if somebody's going to die, you can work to save them on the Sabbath. But if they're not going to die, if it's just a flesh wound, then they can wait till the next day and they can be healed the next day. It's sort of a Sabbath triage that they would do. Jesus knows what their law books say. He knows the law. And so he responds with this simple and really practical question. All right, Pharisees, what do you do if one of your sheep falls into a pit on the Sabbath day? The, the idea is this. If, if a sheep falls into a pit, it can make it until the next day. Right? It, it's going to be fine. It doesn't have to be rescued on the Sabbath day, but because the shepherd cares for his animals, he's going to rescue it. It's the humane thing to do, and any shepherd would do it. And Jesus is assuming, and I think rightly, even a Pharisee would do it. Well, if you care for a sheep, then why not care for a person? Simple argument, isn't it? You see it? After all, people are more important than sheep. And if the law was given so that we could reflect the nature and character of God, then the law should be used to help people because God helps people. It's kind of simple. Look at verse 12. So it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Very simple argument. And once Jesus proves that with his reasoning, he heals the man. Remember, Jesus doesn't just speak as one with authority. He acts as one with authority. He doesn't just announce, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, and then do nothing to back it up. He proves that he's the Lord of the Sabbath. He heals the man. Look at verse 13. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. The man stretched it out, and it was restored. Healthy, just like the other. What has Jesus done? He's brought, he's brought new growth to the, to the tendons and the nerves and the muscles and the skin. He, he brings strength and function where there was only a shriveled up old hand. And when Jesus does that, he perfectly reflects the justice and the mercy and the peace and the creative power of God. He perfectly reflects God. He's the exact imprint of his nature. He's the Lord of the Sabbath and he proves it. He wins the argument. It is good to do good on the Sabbath. Healing on the Sabbath isn't just lawful. It is good. And God desires it. See what Jesus has done? Again, he's undermined how the Pharisees have thought about who God is and what the law is for. He's totally correcting their understanding of the law. Jesus is showing them right obedience to the law 
reflects the nature and character of God. The Pharisees thought they were obeying the law. And according to the letter of the law, they were. But not according to the law itself. They were so zealous to strictly obey the letter of the law. They so wanted to defend what was holy to them that they forgot what the law was meant for. And so in doing what they thought was obeying God, they were dishonoring God. They were displaying to the world around them not God as he has revealed himself to Moses, not the merciful and gracious, forgiving, steadfast, loving God. Instead, they were putting on display the God of their wicked imagination. And they prove that. Look what's in their hearts. Look at verse 14. The Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. They don't want God. They don't want the Lord. They want their religion and that feeling of self-righteousness that their religion gives them. That feeling of superiority. If you're not a Christian... This might be how you view Christians. It might be how you view Christianity, a a lifeless, hypocritical religion. And if that's the way you view us, I just want to apologize that we appear that way sometimes. But let me give you some perspective. For most of us, speaking the Christians I know, For most of us, this zealous for the law thing is actually kind of hard for us to identify with. Most of us don't err on the side of law keeping. We err on the side of what we call licentiousness. You know why? Think about this. When was the last time any of you observed the Sabbath day? I mean, the the seventh day Sabbath day. Maybe if you've been to Israel, you saw what it was like to observe the Sabbath day, and you thought, that's not at all how we do it. Because we don't do it. What did you do yesterday? Yesterday was Saturday, it's Sabbath. I'll tell you what I did. I cooked breakfast with bacon. (laughs) And I worked in the garden a little bit. It was work. I sweated. The girls went to a baby shower. I worked on the sermon. We went to a birthday party. I worked on the sermon some more. Pretty much a regular day. I I was working. I was not resting, at least not from an Old Covenant perspective. As Christians, we rightly don't observe the Sabbath anymore. But do you know why? Matthew tells us, beginning in verse 15, Jesus withdraws, the Pharisees want to kill him. It's not time to get killed yet. Many people are following him. He withdraws, he, keep, he goes away, he keeps healing the people, and he tells them, keep this whole Messiah thing quiet. All right, again, it's not time to go to the cross, Rhett. We have like 20 more chapters. <laughs> it's not time to go to the cross. And then, and then look at verse 17. Matthew says this, and when he says this, I think he means everything that we've been looking at the last couple of weeks. This all was to fulfill what had been spoken by the prophet Isaiah. And by that, he's telling us all this stuff that happened. And Matthew quotes Isaiah 42. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, Jesus. 
my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. We saw that when Jesus was baptized, didn't we? At Jesus' baptism, the Spirit comes down. The Spirit is upon Jesus, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He'll not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Now that part about not hearing his voice in the streets, Matthew's saying that is being fulfilled by Jesus not announcing that he's the Messiah loudly in the streets. Whenever he does it, he does it in a little kind of veiled way. And we, we almost have to study the text a little bit deeper to understand, oh, he's saying he's the Messiah. It's kind of a secret. And that's why he's telling people, keep it quiet. Keep it quiet. Yes, I'm the Messiah, but keep it quiet. That's fulfilling verse 19 there. Nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. But what does a debate about the Sabbath have to do with the Gentiles? That part about justice to the Gentiles, hope for the Gentiles. Why did Matthew say that all these things that we've been reading have anything to do with the Gentiles? Us. There's not even any Gentiles listening to them there. are. There's no Gentiles a part of that debate. There's no Gentiles in the synagogue. There were no Gentiles in the grain fields. He's been talking to Pharisees and his disciples. Jewish Jews, right? And yet Matthew said what Jesus was doing was giving the Gentiles hope. Here's what's going on. We Gentiles, I'm speaking probably for 99.9% of us in here. Few of you might be ethnically Jewish, but the rest of us, we're not. Here's what's happening. We didn't have any hope before Jesus No hope for us. We were not a part of the covenant people of God. We, our tribes and nations, were not a part of the chosen people of God. We were outside of the promises of God. We were outside of the mercy of God. We weren't given the law. We weren't given the Sabbath. Those things were marked out for God's people, not us. Those things were were given to God's people to show that they were God's people and that we were not. There was nothing that, that we had that we could grasp on and say, we are God's people. Nothing. We had nothing because we were not God's people. We were outside of the promises, as Ephesians 2 tells us. But in Jesus, you see what Matthew's doing here? In Jesus, the Christ, there is hope for the Gentiles. Where we had no hope, Jesus Christ is our hope. Where where the law separated us from the promises, Jesus Christ fulfills the law. He completes the law. And he brings us in to those promises. Remember what Jesus said in in 1128, the very beginning. Come to me, all who labor. That wasn't just for Jews. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That promise is for us. 
Come to me and I will give you rest. Our rest is in Jesus Christ. And that rest is for all, including the Gentiles. Where Sabbath observance was once the way people showed that they were resting in God, hoping in God's promises. Now those promises have been fulfilled in Christ. Now trusting in Christ is the way that we rest in God. The Sabbath rest for the Jews was pointing forward to Jesus to the Christ who would bring true rest to all who trusted in Him. Paul says in Colossians 2.17 that the Sabbath was a shadow and the substance is Christ. The shadow pointed forward to what cast it. The Sabbath pointed forward to Jesus Christ. And now Matthew's telling us that Christ has arrived. What that means is that now you and I are welcomed in to the people of God. Now we are invited to participate in the family of God. We can reflect the nature and character of God in a way we never could before Christ. And we do that not by observing a law that is external to us. We do that by bearing the image of Christ, by being born again in the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit who is in Christ same one that Isaiah said would come. The same spirit who led our Christ to the cross. That cross where Jesus did what the law couldn't ever do. The cross where Jesus condemned sin. He crucified sin. He took sin to the grave with him. Your sin and my sin and Jewish sin. He took our sin to the grave with him. He condemned it. Because of Jesus' work, sin no longer has power over us. The righteous requirements of the law have been fulfilled. And so now in the Spirit, we can begin to show the righteousness that is ours in Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus, our hearts can be transformed. Because of Jesus, our minds can be transformed. What compels us to live in obedience to God. It's not something outside of us. It's the Holy Spirit inside of us. Creating in us worship. Creating in us a true and deep rest in Jesus Christ. Creating in us a gratitude and love for one another. And joy and peace with one another. The God who is merciful and loving and patient. He shows himself through us, not through our law keeping, but through his spirit in us. You see that? Things are different now. We have hope now. We, we look at that debate about the Sabbath and it's like a foreign language to us because of what Christ has done. And don't, don't think that somehow the righteousness of God has been watered down because of what Christ has done. Don't, don't think that it's been eliminated because the law has been fulfilled in Christ. Not at all. That's not the point here. It's been expanded. We as Christians 
We don't just have one Sabbath day. We aren't just to honor one day as a day to remember God's work. Our very lives are now a testimony to God's work. Every day is now set apart as holy because our entire lives have been radically changed by Jesus Christ's work. And so our striving now, it's interesting, our striving is to rest in Christ. Figure that one out. Our striving is to redeem every moment, to capture every minute for the glory of Christ who we rest in. Every day yoked to the Lord of the Sabbath is a day of rest and delight. Amen. Let's thank him. Lord, we do thank you.